Yo, what's up? Dr. Swole here, MD, pro physique athlete, back with another episode on Swole Radio. Today I'm joined again by Dr. Eric Helms, and today we're going to be doing a fun segment talking about training tips for upper body muscle groups. I think this is going to be a really fun one that I've gotten good feedback doing this with a couple other guests. And, you know, we'll probably aim to do this in a couple of episodes, starting off with upper body today. Thanks for being on the show, Eric. Always a pleasure. Thanks for having me back on, man. Yeah, so today we're going to be directing our discussion towards the serious bodybuilder, someone who really wants to maximize hypertrophy and probably more, you know, beyond the beginner stage. So people who are more intermediate to advanced level and who really have the time to construct some an ideal program. So, yeah, this is going to be a fun one. We're going to talk about different muscle groups and training techniques, exercise selection, and then other considerations for programming like volume, intensity, and special techniques. So, yeah, I was thinking maybe just starting off with the upper body would be fun and um, chest, perhaps, to start. Chest, got to love it, the pecs. They're yeah. the, uh, the, the main beach muscle. Maybe? Abs? I don't know. But, um, yeah, the chest, I think, is a one of the, the, the less complicated muscles to train, in my experience. Uh, most general horizontal pressing kind of kind of movements are, are quite good whether you like your bench press whether you like your dumbbell chest press whether you like your hammer strength whether you like your cables um, you can't really go wrong um, in my experience i have found a nice mixture of uh, some incline pressing that doesn't have to be that steep and some flat pressing of really any type that you really prefer is quite good um, for people who feel a lot of delts and not a whole lot of chest, I think dumbbells and machines can be quite helpful if you're typically using barbells. That's just something anecdotally that mm. I've experienced with people with a kind of quote-unquote mind-muscle connection. Um, yeah, and I think one of the things that um, some people might find is useful if they come from a bit of like a powerlifting technique background is to try maybe keeping a feet up closer grip bench, not like super close grip. When most of the time people think close grip, they think like, you know, like thumb is touching, but yeah. I basically mean just shoulder width grip. Um, and that additional range, uh, I, I find bench press can be a little more friendly on the shoulders and elbows, more range of motion, greater stretch in the bottom position. So, um, but that's probably more specific to like powerlifters who are trying to grow their pecs and are finding their stalling with their traditional comp bench that might not be useful to the audience but i would say uh, a good mixture of some mild incline pressing some flat pressing and i think also some isolation work with some some flies um, if you're doing dumbbell flies i like to keep most of your effort in kind of that lower two-thirds of the range of motion no need to come all the way up where there's really no tension from the dumbbell uh, or if you're using cables um, then yeah pump and squeeze the whole thing out or cable crossovers you know go to town. Mm -hmm. What do you see as the you know specific role of fly movements? Like as, I think it's just you know, a, yeah, yeah. I, I think it's a great way to um, just take your triceps out of it and focus more just on uh, anterior delts and, and chest. So it's a nice way to isolate, even though I just said that's two muscles, to isolate the, uh, it's not really isolating the pec, but it is isolating horizontal adduction, right? Mm -hmm. um, without actually including a, uh, an elbow extension thing in there. So um, when I think about my total volume and sometimes with, if you get a little bit of elbow niggliness, um, 
and you're trying to keep your, your arms a little happier, uh, that it's a good way to throw in some additional pep work um, without needing to be to do more pressing per se. Uh, it also just allows you to, to just load with lighter weights typically because you can't lift quite as much when you're doing a fly versus press. Um, so yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cool. So yeah, those uh, yeah, I feel like chess has always been relatively simple, you know, from especially at least for myself, it's it's always done pretty well with just a few basics. Um, mm -hmm. and like heavy pressing always always uh trashes my pecs pretty well. Yeah, man. Um, how about the back then? I feel like this is a more complex one and of interest. The back you could almost do a whole episode on. I think um some of the things we're learning about the effectiveness of training at long muscle lengths and how that overlaps with the strength curve on back movements is interesting. Mm. So um, I think changing what you consider a full quote unquote rep is something that I've found very useful. So while I try to complete the full range of motion on, let's say, a pull down or a row and get my hand, my clavicle or my hand to my my torso, um, now, or I used to rather, now I what I do is I think, okay, as long as I can get through the first two thirds of that range of motion, I'll still count it. So I try to complete full range of motion um, for as long as I can, but once I start losing some, I keep going. Um, and I think this is useful because you get to actually spend more time exerting efforts in the longer muscle length position. And if like previously you were saying, I'm going to train at eight RPE, which is, you know, reasonably hard, but you only, you stop reps once your, your torso actually gets down to your clavicle or the side of your, uh, your hand actually gets down to your clavicle or the side of your torso. Um, you're probably not getting as much of a stimulus to the point where I think it might make a difference. So that's that's one thing that applies to all back training. Um, another thing I would say is don't be afraid to use straps and use a thumb over grip. Um, I find that for people who get a lot of bicep out of their back work for rows and pull downs specifically, that can be really useful um, and get a little more emphasis on the lat. Um, another thing, depending on your background of training and what you got instructed to do, um, some kind of traditional personal trainers will say, hey, you always want to keep yourself like in retraction and then just, you know, row or pull down there. Um, considering that a lot of the muscles of the back attach on the scapula uh, and you are trying to get things in a lengthened position, I think allowing yourself to come into shoulder elevation at the top of a pull down and allowing yourself to come into protraction without necessarily changing your spinal angle. So you're not actually going into being more kyphotic. Uh, or more, uh, you know, flexed in the lumbar, uh, you're, you're keeping the spinal position the same, but you're allowing your scapulae to move forward and up and down uh, and along the same plane of movement. I find that can uh, give you a little more stimulus in that end range of motion. Um, some other things, um, I think people often will stay in just typically like two planes. Uh, it'll just be the straightforward row yeah. and then the straight pull down. I've actually gotten a lot of benefit out of being kind of in the midway between those two, mm. like doing rows at like a 45 degree angle. Those, those I find uh, provide a nice stimulus. Um, also, um, single arm variations of pull downs can be a great way if you're not getting a great mind muscle connection. Uh, you could just kind of focus in on, on, on one movement at a time and give you a little more ability to 
uh, is less of a full body movement. It's more of like a quote unquote isolation exercise. Again, it's not. And I find on average, people are able to get a better body muscle connection. And then once you get that down, you can move back to a bilateral uh, variation or, or version. Those are all useful tips. Uh, another one, if you're doing rows and you find you really are only feeling it in kind of your upper back, uh, bicep, rear delt, and not much in your lats, uh, keeping your elbow a little close to your side and thinking about rowing towards your belt line uh, and kind of like an arc, uh, that is a useful cue. You're not actually 100% doing it in all cases, but thinking about that, well, I find can get a little more lat engagement for a lot of people. Um, I mean, I've got so many for the back because I had a long, a long, uh, it took me a long time to really stimulate my back in an effective mm -hmm. way. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I do have some more, actually. I have some more tips. I really like um, pullover variations. Um, nice. They've gotten a bit of a bad rap, like, oh, they, they're supposed to be for your pecs or for this ridiculous thing of ribcage expansion. But, hey, ribcage expansion is bullshit, and they're not even that good for the pecs, which I would agree with. They're an okay pec movement um, because the pecs do actually act as a shoulder ext extender when, they're in, uh, when you're in full shoulder flexion. Because if you, if you just think about it, like if you just raise your arm straight up over your head, like you have a, a question that must be urgently answered and, or that you have to go to the bathroom and you're a kidney gardener, you can feel the pec is stretched upward. And if you were to then bring your arm forward, you can feel it contract. So um, it does get a little bit, and it's in a lengthened position. So I think it's not as bad of a pec builder as people might think. And it's also isolating the action of shoulder extension, which is what the lats and the terrace major do. Um, and in, again, in a lengthened position, the just like dumbbell flies uh doing this with a dumbbell or a barbell it's only going to have a partial range of motion before the the line of force is, is removing the tension so i find uh a cable straight arm push down with your body bent over in like the same position you'd have as an rdl is a really useful movement uh, you can do that with a straight bar or a v-bar or a rope uh, depending on what feels best for you but i think that's a great adjunct movement it's also nice because you are not training the biceps. So just like a uh, cable fly mm -hmm. is a way to isolate the, the horizontal adduction, um, a push down is a way to isolate uh, shoulder extension. Um, with that said, you will get some pretty gnarly long head contraction of the triceps uh, from this uh, along with it, at least most people I've talked to experience. So this is kind of one of those interesting pec tricep lat movements. Uh, so yeah, that, that'll, uh, that, that'll be an interesting one to think about where you place that in your training. Um, but I normally do it towards the end of an upper body day because it, so it doesn't get, uh, interfere with other movements, but those are, I think most of my back tips that I find are pretty effective and also just generally training to a higher RPE because of that kind of force curve. Mm. Uh, and don't be afraid of. Actually, this is more of a general programming tip, and it's not something to be afraid of. When you have deadlifts and squats in your program, think about doing chest-supported rows, um, doing lat pushdowns, and doing pulldowns prior to or the day before, rather than something like uh, dumbbell rows or barbell rows, just so your back is fresh for those movements. I think some people underestimate how much like bent-over barbell rows for reasonable load and volume can, can take out of them for that subsequent day. Yeah, that, yeah, that's a great point. I think especially when you get more into the advanced, you know, category where you're actually rowing pretty heavy weight, um, it starts to produce like significant fatigue. And I like definitely yeah. notice like a big difference if I swap in, say, like a 
T-bar row for like a like a more machine type, more chest supported row. What yeah. are one, yeah, yeah. one more tip for back. One more tip. Yeah. If you are doing barbell rows or T-bar rows, absolutely ignore the the technique that that most of the IFBB pros or historical pros use. I don't care that they're big. I don't care that Dorian Yates has an amazing back. Uh, it doesn't make any goddamn sense. You want to have more range of motion, mm. um, and you also want to have more range of motion to lengthen position. So doing like the mostly standing up, beginning of a power <laughs> yeah. clean kind of power hump the Short. bar with your hips <laughs> doing very little uh that's keeping you in a more shortened position it's reducing the range of motion and you're generating most of the momentum from other muscle groups so uh yeah not not a fan yeah it's it's tricky because you know so many like so many people i mean it's we i feel like we often place um barbara rose all the way up there and like but the problem is a lot of people do them wrong yes. when they start i love out. barbell rows exactly i think you basically want to maintain the same back angle you have at the bottom of, of an RDL the whole time. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. What are your thoughts on, you know, flexion and extension of the spine during rowing? You know, people talk about like full, the, getting the extra range of motion or kind of like the Arnold-esque cable row where you're like uh, trying to get more erector involvement. I think there's better suited exercises for training your erectors. Okay. I think, um, I think doing that, it's kind of the same reason why I would recommend doing like a chest supported exercise, uh, you know, row variation, thinking about if you have a leg day coming up, because you're going to get a ton of erectors on your leg day, mm. uh, unless you're doing just like all machine work, mm -hmm. um, which why would you do that, right? Like, you know, there's back extensions, there are deadlifts, there's RDLs, there's good mornings, there's squats. Um, so there's regular deadlifts. There, there, there's a ton of movements that I think are, are much better suited. Uh, to train the lumbar and in my opinion like the by the time your lats and your biceps and your rear delts and everything in your back upper back is fatigued your lumbar is fine typically like you're not mm -hmm. going to be like oh man got a really good extent you know lumbar extensor workout on my cable roads like the little bit of extra you're doing is probably producing very little stimulus and might just be producing a little bit of fatigue so i don't see it as very useful in my opinion mm -hmm. so kind of like junk volume then for like ish weight. yeah i mean it's probably good for like conditioning it might, it might make you i mean jump on a rower if you want to do that you know so yeah. so yeah and then what are your thoughts on lab prayers it seems to be pretty trendy recently i don't actually uh, have much experience with them I, have, I haven't i haven't played with them much to, to have a strong opinion to be honest mm -hmm. yeah yeah i've been trying them i i can what see you what you know people say where you know meno talks about um Basically, for people who don't know, they're kind of like a straight arm pull down, but you're you're um, straining at the hip a little bit as you complete the movement to uh, to basically maintain like uh, the tension curve throughout. Mm. Um, and I see kind of the rationale for it when I do them, but I also find that they're they're a little bit tricky when you start involving like additional movement within a movement, yeah. like uh, where it it starts getting a little bit tricky for re reproducibility um and overload but um yeah anyways just just curious yeah the um so trunk lateral flexion is something the lats actually do um you know along with the quadratus lumborum so i have played with doing like single arm pull downs and then mm. kind of doing like mm -hmm. a side crunch at the bottom which is kind of mm -hmm. a similar concept of that movement within a movement and the timing of it and the fluidity does take some practice so i can totally mm -hmm. see where you're coming from 
Um, so that's why it's not my default recommendation for people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. And then what are your thoughts on, you know, people talking about back width versus back thickness training? It's not really a thing. Yeah. Um, like, so regional hypertrophy. So this is a complex thing, like, cause I don't know what people, I don't think people know what they, they, they mean when they say that a lot of the times. So for, there's different muscles in the back, which add to the appearance of thickness. Mm. And then there are different regions of muscles, which can hypertrophy in different ways. So the muscles that are going to add to your width are going to be like your lats, your teres major, basically your back that's visible from, from the front that makes you look wider and more V tapery. Um, but having bigger lats does make you look thicker when you're viewed from behind. Uh, and then your trapezius, and I know most people think traps, they think they're upper traps, but the traps are huge. You know, they're, they're like, they go down to your mid back and they're big diamond and, you know, mm -hmm. that kind of separates your, uh, your back and like your rhomboids are sitting there. So all of those muscle groups, which do scapular retraction, I guess you could say add to thickness, um, while your lat work adds a little more to width. So, I mean, the closest you could, you could try to think about this is like rows are more for width and pull downs are, oh, sorry, are more for thickness and pull downs are more for width, but they both train your lats. So it's, it's, I think there are things are really not that delineated. Um, and, uh, it is also true that, that muscles do grow in an inhomogeneous way, which is a complex way of saying different regions and regions of them grow in different ways. Um, but if you're using a full range of motion and you're training at long muscle lengths, you, you get growth across all regions quite effectively. So I am, I, I don't, I don't really, I don't just talk about things in those terms because I don't think it's a useful way of describing exercises. It tends to, to put limiters on exercises that aren't, aren't accurate more often than it does inform you in a, such a way of how to program in my opinion. Mm -hmm. And then in terms of a just kind of auxiliary question, but when counting volume, mm. how do you consider like biceps, you know, involvement in back movements? Because like, I, I definitely yep. feel that, you know, as you mentioned earlier, there can be quite a bit of biceps involvement and depending on how crisp your technique is, like, I feel like a few years ago, I ran into some, I tried to jack up my biceps volume, my back volume a bunch. And I actually got like biceps tendinosis just because I was just like increasing my volume indirectly. Absolutely. So if you are using an approach where you're trying to do a certain number of sets somewhat guided by the evidence, um, that means you're looking at, you know, the meta-analyses that have been published in the last five years uh, that look at, you know, 10, 10 plus sets or 12 to 20 plus sets in the more recent meta-analysis. The way that that's counted in those meta-analyses and in the studies primarily that are, that are in them is that they count all direct and indirect work on a one-to-one -one basis. So when people are asking, oh, what's the evidence-based way to count sets? Well, if you want to be informed by meta-analyses, you count it that way. So a row and a bicep curl and lat pull-down are all the same. But that's not actually the way it works, right? Mm -hmm. So we have data suggesting that uh, lat pull-downs are probably pretty close in terms of their stimulus to curls, believe it or not. Uh, rows, maybe not so much. Maybe you're not getting the same range of motion um and about the elbow uh and you know there are probably variations to that theme on the way the lat pull down is done or the row uh the angle it's done at etc the grip you're using 
um, et cetera. But essentially, the way to think of it is if I am attempting to get more bicep growth and I'm already doing, say, 16 sets of biceps, but 12 of those sets are coming from back work, the move would not be to do more back work. It would be to do more bicep curls, you know? So I think that's the, that's the general way to look at it. You still want to count sets in the same way if you're trying to be informed by the evidence and the way the evidence is counted, but you still also need common sense to think, all right, if I'm trying to alter my physique based upon what's occurring and my weaks and strengths, uh, my weaknesses and strengths, then I need to think about what's the most effective way of adding stimulus to that muscle group. And to your point, being aware that sometimes joint pain limitations are, are a big thing. Um, so typically when I am, this is, I guess I'm shifting to arms now, and you can pull me back from that if you'd like. When I'm trying to increase someone's arm size, that's one of the few muscle groups where I'm often just adding more volume because it's like, it's hard to do a curl wrong, you know, like it's, it's elbow flexion, you know? So a lot of the times when someone's arms are not growing, yeah, I might do a cursory check of their form, but it's rare that there's like, unless there's really mm -hmm. doing cheater stuff all the time and stopping short of failure, it's like, it's a curl, it's a push down. It's, it's hard not to train your biceps and triceps when you're doing elbow flexion and extension. So you're looking to do more volume um, or just put more stimulus in there. And it's really common uh, that that um, will create tendinosis or tendinitis, um, tendinopathy, all the, all the fun words related to my, my, my damn elbows hurt on the inside or the outside or both. Um, a lot of things like uh, doing some BFR, um, using neutral grips. Um, I find that just simply adding hammer curls instead of uh, straight arm curls can can make a huge difference. Uh, rope pushdowns instead of straight arm pushdowns. And um, yeah, choosing to use higher reps and lower loads, um, mm. which is you know just a less extreme version of BFR. Those are really useful ways of bringing up the arms uh, and while staying kind of below the threshold for what sometimes makes joint pain creep up. Um, mm -hmm. And and yeah, and you may need to also alter your back movements or your pressing and pulling movements essentially while you're trying to bring up your arms because the cumulative stress uh, could, could cause an issue. So doing more straight arm pushdowns uh, if you're trying to grow your biceps, you know, things like that, just things that'll, that'll let your your, your elbows not always be stressed as they're moving through flexion and extension. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I definitely found that, that like my effective back volume increased as my technique improved over the years, mm -hmm. where like, I feel like I get way more out of say, like 10 sets of back work than I would have uh, when I started out. And I, that's why I think, yeah, back the, the back tips are especially important for people when they start out because there's, so it's so much more than just taking the barbell from A to B. Yes, hundred percent. I would agree. There's a lot of muscles back there that can that can that can help with that, and maybe not be as prime movers you think they are. I remember I had really impressive terrace major development early on in my career and pretty poor lats, which I <laughs> the, the, like the T taper, and uh, I th I find that is a is a relatively common development pattern in people who don't have a very good mind muscle connection with back work. Yeah, that's why they use it until you see Eric pull out the Terry's Major pose on stage. <laughs> yeah, the Terry's Major and, uh, and, and mid-trap uh, dominant yeah. back. Yeah, yeah, for me it was back like rear delts. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. I had a great back double bicep if you look from like, the bottom of my scapula <laughs> up, you know? So, 
Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so I guess we're uh, going on to arms. Um, how about some tips on bicep training? Yeah, so um, in addition to what I already said with, you know, if you need to do more volume there, then, you know, be very conscious of, of ways to keep your elbow happy. Um, and, you know, sometimes people think like, oh, but a hammer curl, that's more for like my forearm and my brachioradialis. And it's, you're still flexing your elbow. You're definitely still training your biceps and your brachialis. So mm -hmm. it's, uh, it's still a fantastic curl movement and it may be friendlier on your elbow. Um, also, if you want to train the bicep at longer muscle lengths, you can do incline curls. I find that those, those are pretty good. And if you want to, cause essentially, you know, the bicep is also a weak shoulder flexor. So if you move your shoulder into extension, it stretches the bicep a little more, just try it. Like even if you train your biceps regularly and you've only done that in a traditional way, doing like incline dumbbell curls where you let your, your arm hang behind you or even more so cable. So there's immediate tension and tension throughout, um, a little hard to set up, but dumbbells work just fine. Uh, you'll find your biceps probably sore for the first time in a long time. If you're someone who is trained traditionally, doesn't get sore. Um, even if you train close to failure, which was my, my, uh, described me before I started including those. Not that that necessarily means they're growing, but it does indicate that you're trained them at a, at a more lengthened position, which, which might indicate that they're getting a better stimulus. So yeah, lengthened position. Um, you can also do like standing curls, uh, standing cable curls with your arm trailing behind you. That's another good way to get, uh, that lengthened position. Um, I'm not a fan. I, this, is, this is another case where I'm just not a fan of some of the traditional guidance on uh, on curls, like uh, cheat, cheater bicep curls, just to mm -hmm. with a barbell, just to find a way to move a heavier load. Why? Well, mm -hmm. what, what reason do we have to believe that, that that's a good way to build your biceps any more than anything else besides big guys have done it? And if honestly, if that's the only rationale you need, then uh, why are you listening to us? Because neither neither Bill nor I are that big. So you should go listen to people with bigger biceps. Um, but I have trained many a person with big biceps and got their biceps even bigger. So there you go. Nice. Um, so yeah, if, if I need the anecdotal credibility, there you go. But um, yeah, I, I find, again, I don't think arm complicating needs to, arm training needs to be overcomplicated. Um, I think that generally some people can rely almost purely on compound movements if they have really, really good arms. Um, but a lot of people can't. And in that case, when you're trying to increase volume, I think elbow health is probably the, the, the primary consideration I have. And uh, yeah, higher reps, blood flow restriction, neutral grip, and then modifying your pressing and pulling so that it's a little less uh, stressful on your, on your joints can also be a, a good combined way of making like a, an arm specialization cycle. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's an interesting point. And like how you spoke earlier about how how you can consider different back exercises and as having like slightly different um, sort of contribute contributions to bicep volume. Um, mm -hmm. And the way I see it is like I kind of will sometimes use back exercises as like a very subtle um, way to manipulate my frequency or volume for the biceps where I'll be like, oh, this is maybe it's an upper lower day. But if I'm um, if I, you know, or whatever uh maybe not that split but if you're if, if i moved a bicep like a, a reverse grip lap pull down or like a supinated chin up onto mm -hmm. a, some other day that doesn't necessarily have bicep training on it i'm effectively increasing my biceps frequency yep that is a, that is a good way to do it on like a, a push pull legs or something like that um 
I guess it's not a good example either. Neither of our examples were good, upper, lower, or that one. But but if you had actual body part split, like if you had a chest and back, legs, shoulders, arms, and then on your chest and back day, uh, you did underhand grip, uh, you know, pull-ups, that's one way to get some extra bicep work on your chest and back day. We did it. We eventually got a, a useful example, Bill. Um, yeah, one other thing I would say, oh, and I just forgot what I was going to say. I had something relevant for arms. No, forgot it. It might come back to me, but uh, yeah. no, I, I totally agree. What are your thoughts about the... Oh, no, I got it. It's back. Yeah, yeah. Changing exercise order, I also find is very useful oh, yeah. for the arms um, because typically, uh, unless you have a body part split where you have like an arm day, which sometimes can be worth it, like adding an arm day on top of your training, but a way to do that so you don't have to go to the gym just to do some arm curls and push downs <laughs> um, is to on your upper body days, especially like if your delts, your chest, your back are well developed, but your arms are under, is start your sessions with uh, arm work. Um, and you know, whatever minor hit you take on the other movements for your physique, that's, that's, that's not, that's not, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. It's worth it, you know? Um, and there are data, uh, there's a number of studies actually showing that you make slightly better gains in terms of performance, uh, mm-hmm. when you bring a movement out front. Um, so I think, uh, there is definitely something to be said for doing your, your calves first on leg day or doing biceps and triceps first on an upper body day. If those things need to come up. So that you're not at the end of a hard workout trying to do them and they've already been trained indirectly and they may not be able to put out as much of a stimulus uh, because of that um, and whatever you lose on that uh, for the rest of the movements you're pulling and pushing um, is is probably worth it in the case of someone who has underdeveloped arms um, but yeah generally that that's a you know the, the rule of thumb is you know do your compounds first and your isolation second but i think for a physique competitor with an obvious weak point you can break that rule to your benefit mm-hmm. yeah like especially with a lot of the traditional splits like upper lower where your arm training always comes after your heavy pushing and pulling um i've definitely found that when i've separated splits or have had the opportunity to train your arms first you perform significantly better like you can directly compare your performance and it's definitely visible. Yep. That's another way to get around this is if you historically use like a legs push pull, um, switching to a chest and back legs, shoulders and arms split mm-hmm. is, is a nice way to, to actually do a body part split that allows some muscles that, to get more attention in a way that they wouldn't with as much overlap. Uh, on your chest and back day, basically you get to do a whole bunch of antagonist paired sets. Mm-hmm. It's efficient. Uh, and there's no arm training, quote unquote, getting in the way. So, so a chest and back day can be quite useful for someone who has underdeveloped chest or back. And then the shoulders and arms day is is a great way to give the arms more direct attention with less overlap as well, mm-hmm. or the shoulder for that matter. What are your thoughts about um, like the extreme curl where you raise up your um, like when I suppose when you flex your shoulder at the top of the movement? I don't really think there's there's a whole lot of benefit to it um, because you're you know the rationale here is hey the biceps are a weak shoulder flexor so you're including this other joint action um, but it's at a shortened position so I, I don't think you're getting a much I don't think you're getting much out of that based upon how we understand hypertrophy to operate in response to range of motion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's cool to hear. I mean, especially with the more evidence coming out about lengthened um, yep. muscle exactly. you know, training. Kind of stuff and you know the, the argument could be like well you're never actually training you know biceps uh in, in, in for shoulder flexion it's like 
yeah, you are every time you do shoulder flexion. <laughs> so mm -hmm. it's um, yeah, anytime you do shoulder flexion without elbow extension, your biceps are going to be relatively involved. And even if you are doing elbow extension, then the uh, parts of the bicep complex are, are still involved that aren't biarticular. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. And then moving on, I guess, talking about triceps, some tips for us. Same stuff. Um, you know, is, is thinking about uh, changing up your pressing exercises that put stress on your elbow to be, you know, closer grip, a little more neutral grip. Um, and that includes overhead pressing and horizontal pressing while you're doing more volume. And then think about tricep exercises that are a little more joint friendly. So instead of a, a straight arm push down an angle or a rope, I find can be useful. Um, yeah. And some of the, you can also kind of like you were saying, you know, swapping out a traditional pull-up to a uh, underhand grip pull-up to get a little more volume on other days you can do things like changing your bench press to a closer grip bench press mm. uh, or changing a, a flat press to dips something like that uh, there are ways to get uh, movements that give a little more range about the elbow uh, or a little more tricep dominant in, in your pressing i think those are those are useful useful adjuncts but i think the same principles apply to biceps as, as to triceps Mm -hmm. What proportion of your tricep work do you like to allocate to like stretch oriented uh, exercises like, you know, skull crushers or overhead extensions? Yeah, the, I, I think those are both great movements. And I, I, I think honestly that that can just be the single joint exercises you choose. Okay. Um, the, I don't see any reason not to, you know, doing an overhead cable extension or overhead dumbbell extension or like you said, a skull crusher. Um, for skull crushers, I would recommend, and again, this is like the 40-year-old talking, um, at least 40-year-old in three months, but uh, I find using an easy bar um, it, or, or dumbbells and actually having a neutral grip is typically much nicer and more sustainable than using a straight bar on skull crushers for most people. Yeah, I think, yeah, I definitely found that out the hard way over time, you know, or <laughs> yeah, with the, it the extreme close grip bench press. Yeah, um, which... Honestly, it's not even a good position for your triceps. Like it doesn't make any sense, you know? <laughs> so essentially the, the position you want on a close grip bench press is the same position you'd have as if you did a push up and tucked your elbows in at your sides. So it's typically about the width of your armpits. Um, any closer than that. And you're, you, you've got your wrist cocked in, which makes no mm -hmm. sense structurally. You know, you want to have your wrists stacked over your elbows. Um, you know, like if, if you're, if you're trying to challenge you know, like isometric lateral wrist flexion, then yeah, go ahead, touch touch your, your thumbs together. Um, but if you're actually trying to train your triceps, then just do a closer grip, not the, uh, the I'm a 16 year old close grip bench press, so. <laughs> yeah, I, and for all the young trainees out there who still feel totally fresh and undamaged, I would suggest taking, you know, advice from us on this kind of stuff, because I think, I think, I feel like the biggest, one of the biggest differentiators of success, like, in terms of your like ultimate, you know, fulfillment of potential is like your ability to avoid injuries, you know, and deal with aches and pains over time. I think that um, a lot of people, even like high level, high level bodybuilders are leaving a lot of gains on the table that they could access if they weren't injured, you know? Yeah. You, if you want to get somewhere close to maxing out your physique uh, as a, you know, like honestly drug-free or enhanced, you're looking at roughly a 10 year commitment on, on the low, on the low end, you know, like if I'm saying maximizing, you're going to get close, uh, e even if uh, you're super, super efficient versus not. 
So the biggest determinant of, of how effective those 10 years will be is the area under the curve under that 10 year period spent training effectively. And every time you're hurt is time you can't be doing that. So I would 100% echo that. Mm -hmm. And that means that you need to think about not just how it is to be training right now as a 22 year old, but what it'll be like as a 32 year old with 10 years under your belt, you know, so. Yeah, like, you know, thinking of things with a long term perspective is, yeah, super important for bodybuilding. It's a slow sport. Absolutely. Yeah, going up to shoulders then, what are some some tips for developing the boulders? Yeah, first off, overhead pressing is, is not crap, which has become the recent meme in, in the last few years. Like, mm. uh, lateral raise is just a less stressful, better alternative that's nicer on your shoulder. That's just mm. probably not the case. Um, unlike a lateral raise, uh, there is tension at the bottom, like, like a dumbbell lateral raise. Unlike a dumbbell lateral raise, there's tension at the bottom of a uh, at a shoulder press, and there is some uh, shoulder uh, adduction going on. Mm. Sorry, abduction going on. So um, we don't have great data on actual. We, not even we have great data. We don't have data on specific heads of the deltoid growing in response to pressing versus lateral raise longitudinally. Um, we do have data comparing a bunch of different shoulder exercises, looking at EMG, which is like very weak evidence for, with a lot of limitations, but it would suggest that you do, you're getting a fair amount of, um, of medial delt, uh, or I should say middle deltoid, um, from, from pressing overhead. Um, sure. It's primarily your ant anterior deltoid that, that's doing the work, but it's absolutely, um, an overall shoulder builder. And if you have the shoulder health to do so, I do think overhead pressing is is good. Um, and if you don't have the shoulder health to do so, I would suggest things like um, slight incline, like very high incline overhead pressing that mm. typically removes that that barrier for a lot of people or machine pressing. Um, but it is, uh, I do think overhead pressing is a very useful tool. Um, on top of that, I think, um, I, I pretty much just don't do dumbbell lateral raises anymore. Um, because I really only feel them at the top, and the mm. more we've learned from long muscle lengths, I almost exclusively uh, do cable lateral raises, mm. um, just because they have tension throughout the full range. And even more so, I've played with having my arm starting like at my opposite hip when it grabs mm. the uh, the cable, um, either in front of my body or behind. And I think just depending upon your your limb length, how big your butt is, and how flexible your shoulder is. Um, you might find that either in front of your body or behind your body feels better from a comfort and a stretch position on the delt, but those are great movements. Um, I don't think there's any benefit to isolating uh, the anterior deltoid. It gets so much stimulation from all your pressing. Yeah. Um, the only time I've seen people with poorly developed anterior deltoids is people who don't do any overhead pressing whatsoever <laughs> because they bought into the lateral raise thing. Um, so I think that can be easily addressed by just perhaps doing some overhead pressing. But honestly, like whether you're doing a decline or an incline or a flat press, you're getting a ton of anterior delt. Um, so really don't need anterior delt raises unless for some reason you can't do any pressing. Um, also, uh, sorry, unlike the anterior delt, I find that some people do need to isolate the rear delt. Like it is just not that well, well developed mm. when you look at them. And I think in those cases, um, I really like 
single arm uh, cable uh, rear delt flies. So you can grab like across your body. So you're reaching towards your opposite shoulder to grab the cable. So you're starting in the lengthened position for your delt. And then you're trying to actually stay in protraction. So you're not retracting as a large component to the, to the, to the, to the muscle. You're trying to isolate uh, horizontal abduction um, mm -hmm. a little more. And I typically find that keeping my, my palm facing the ground rather than uh, in a more neutral grip. So grabbing palm facing down across the body and going across, uh, you know, doing this reverse fly while trying to stay protracted. So kind of keeping my, my shoulder forward the whole time and you can get a really intense uh, stimulus to that to that rear delt. I've, I've played with that a good bit and I find those are really effective uh, ways to isolate the rear delt if that's something you need to do. And I don't think that's actually that common that people need to isolate the rear delts. Mm. Um, if you're doing a lot of rows and pull downs, uh, they, they get a fair amount of work. So this is something to evaluate your physique, not just feel like, oh no, Eric said I'm missing out on these lengthened position, isolated, protracted, cross body, palm <laughs> facing down. Uh, I'm going to sell a book, um, you know, rear delt flies, but they are an excellent tool if your rear delts are underdeveloped. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I'm glad you put that disclaimer out of like that not everyone needs to be necessarily doing it. And one consideration I'll put out for people is looking at like how much you're actually spending on like, you know, your back training as well, where maybe if you're following like a low volume program right now, you might be better off just adding in more back volume if you haven't yeah. maxed out your back volume yet, because you're going to get, you're going to get, you know, multiple birds with one stone. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would agree. Um, and then, oh yeah, circling back to triceps, one question I had was um, with say skull crusher movements, you'll see a lot of people doing like declined or inclined um, skull crushers. Is there much of a difference like biomechanically in your, your, your view? Well, I haven't actually thought about that before until you just asked the question. But ultimately, what you want to look at is the angle of shoulder extension, right? So the more, sorry, shoulder flexion, or I mean, either yeah. way, the more your flexed, arms over your head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The more flexed your shoulder is, the more stretch it'll put on the long head of the tricep. Um, so if you were to do a decline skull crusher, Unless you're significantly elevated off the ground, so you can actually reach all the way behind you, um, you're probably not going to be able to have the same degree of shoulder flexion in the bottom position because the weight or your hands would hit the ground. Um, so an inclined skull crusher would probably put more tension at the lengthened position and allow you to get into a lengthened position um, or, you know, a flat. A flat may, may be sufficient. It just depends on how high the bench is and how long your arms are and what you're holding in your hand, I think, in most cases. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, other tricep question. Are you able to isolate or yeah, emphasize more so the lateral or medial heads of the tricep? I don't think so. Yeah. No, they're, they're, I can't think anatomically why you would be able to. Maybe, maybe there's someone who knows more anatomy than I do, but I think if you're extending your elbow um, and not also doing something that would counteract the, uh, the their contribution to the movement, like, then yeah no I can't think of any reason why not mm -hmm. yeah okay cool or why rather mm -hmm. yeah then I guess moving on to a couple of uh, smaller muscle groups or peripheral how about the traps what are your thoughts on you know direct trap training yeah I think um, 
most of the time people are getting pretty well developed traps from other back work um the the most upper portion of the traps in my experience in just looking at people a lot of the development there or the appearance of development there how well they roll over when you do a uh, most muscular mm -hmm. um has to do with where they attach in their shape mm. um with that said if your upper traps or i should say that the portion that you can see from the front of your traps uh, if they look weak yeah go ahead and do shrugs but i have not seen there's a few there's a few isolation exercises that i've seen to be rarely effective although i would still recommend people do it if they're underdeveloped there uh like the the abdominal the, the sorry the abs and the traps uh, and the forearms are ones where I would recommend if they're really noticeably underdeveloped to isolate mm. them, but I would also have very low expectations <laughs> yeah. because um, I don't, I have, I have, I rarely see much come of that. I don't see nothing mm. come of it, but it's just, um, you know, they're involved in so many other movements that like, if you're doing deadlifts, if you're doing a bunch of different angles of back training, and if you're doing overhead pressing, that's a lot of indirect work for the traps. And mm -hmm. if the upper traps aren't looking very developed from that, I don't think adding shrugs in is going to change that night and day in most cases. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then, yeah, people are doing direct upper trap work. Do you have any technique tips or exercise selection ideas? Yes. Again, unless you're not 16 anymore, or if you are 16, <laughs> don't be like your colleagues. Don't roll them forward and roll them backward. Like mm -hmm. that is somehow an action of the traps. Uh, the traps don't do protraction or retraction. The upper traps do shoulder elevation. If you just think about the angle of where they attach on the scapulae. So uh, just bring your uh, shoulders towards your ears and then let them go all the way back down. Uh, don't bounce. Don't use momentum. Uh, don't like power shrug into it. That's another one that I don't think really makes any sense. Power shrugs. You're basically generating momentum and using your whole body to for in the lengthened position, again, where it's most important to cheat the motion up and then also they, they kind of drop down too to get the, the full range. That's a good one. <laughs> um, that's like a, just a, like a slight, slight a little bit of Olympic lifting there. Like how do I get it up from point A to point B? I don't think that's going to be effective. Um, you do get to use a lot of weight though. So that's a great way if you want to get you know made fun of on Instagram comments is to use a very short range of motion explosively to move, move a lot of weight. You'll get called an ego lifter within two seconds. Um, and honestly, you probably should be because uh, be called that because it's not doing anything. Um, so yeah, power shrugs, no. Rolly dumbbell shrugs forward and backward, no. Um, however, uh, just regular old shrugs with dumbbells or barbells, those can be good. If you're prone to neck pain, I would recommend um, not doing barbell shrugs. Uh, I, I found this is something I just personally found is having a trap bar or dumbbells at my side. Uh, with dumbbells, you do have to strap up. Um, you're gonna you're gonna be able to shrug a lot of weight. Um, so typically, if you're not using straps, you're underloading this movement for most people. Um, and uh, yeah, trying a uh, you know a trap bar deadlift um, or dumbbells with straps can be pretty pretty helpful. Um, and just pulling straight up, arms at your sides, good to go. Mm -hmm. Does the grip width matter? Ideally, I think just having it kind of right at your sides, arms straight down. Um, may, may not be able to do that on most trap bars. It depends on how the bar is built. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then going on to the abs as well. If someone wanted to really like train their abs, what are, what are your um, 
piece of advice? From like a functional standpoint, I think there's a lot of value in training the abs and primarily what they do is they are a stabilizer. So doing things like anti-rotation um, and dynamic stabilization stuff like paloff presses, um, you know, resisting flexion and rotation, all really cool stuff you could do that I've done with athletes or in a rehab setting or recommended in various times in my career. But with bodybuilders, I think essentially what you're looking to do is loaded trunk flexion in most cases. And that's one of the actions of, of the abs. And again, low expectations because they are acting to counteract rotation, counteract flexion and extension, or sorry, um, extension. Uh, and But they also do perform flexion. So I think throwing in hanging leg raises, cable crunches, and again, not buying into the old school thing like, oh, work up till you can do 300 crunches in a day. Um, no, train them like in the you know, six to 12 rep range, five to 15 rep range, reasonably heavy, close to failure, using a full range of motion and uh, using a way to load them effectively, whether that's one of those machines that, you know, you grab here in the gym and it's, you know, a crunch machine or whether you're going to the cable stack, putting on a rope and having it drape over your shoulders and crunching down or in front of you and crunching down. I think those are all good. And just make sure uh, you're not doing kind of just all crunches in a shortened position. You're actually getting into, uh, you know, spinal extension mm. so that your mm -hmm. abs are stretched and then flexing all the way down. Mm -hmm. And then how about the obliques? I just don't think they need to be trained directly. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I just, I, I, I've never in my life seen someone whose physique looks like they are missing obliques, you know? So, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. they they usually just have some fat to lose. Yeah, like, in, yeah, most of the time it's like, <laughs> I like, sometimes I wish my obliques were a little smaller, to be honest, just, just from the way they look, um, you know, but it is what it is. It's not like I'm going to, I can't really make, and, and I don't think also another, on the other side of it, don't be the person who's like, oh, I, I don't do deadlifts and I don't wear squats. Uh, I don't, I don't use squats and I wear a belt to try to make my obliques and my, my, my gut smaller. That's not really a thing. And you're definitely losing out more than you're gaining from that. Um, just kind of accept the fact that because your core is going to develop as it needs to based upon your anatomy to support all of the movements you're doing mm. because you don't have a spinal cord on the front or the sides of your body. So you're going to need something to to hold you up and stabilize you while you're pulling, pressing, squatting and deadlifting. Um, so they, it is what it is. And uh, and just kind of accept your body and don't think you can really manipulate that aspect, like the shape of your core. Um, I really don't think you can. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I think that was yeah fun episode. Got a bunch of uh, useful technique tips and some exercise selection ideas. Can I just say, you, you, yeah, this definitely feels like a men's physique uh, competitor hosted this because we said nothing about the lower body. It's good. So, yeah. Yeah, that will have to be episode <laughs> two. <laughs> oh, so we are actually going to talk about it eventually. All right. I see. I see. <laughs> that's the whole body guys <laughs> to tuned in. It's everything you need <laughs> but yeah it's been this has been a fun little side uh episode that i've you know side series i've done with mike and meno where we just kind of do a two-day thing um we can really dedicate some time to going into the lower body on the next one sounds good there's a, a lot to talk about for the lower body in the back i think those are the, the muscle groups that are have the the most complexity 
and tend to be the ones that are underdeveloped on the most people. So mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, so teaser for that. Stay tuned. And yeah, fun question to wrap up, Eric, for today is what motivates you to make content? Um, to try to give back and to try to ensure that people are slowly learning um, so that they're not just growing their bodies, but they're also growing their minds and hopefully their emotional connection to the why behind uh, the reason why they lift so that it is something that stays a healthy and positive contribution to their lives. So I think typically we get very, very focused on gains early on and inevitably gains will plateau and the pathways, if you don't emotionally mature as to what your motivation are, what was your motivations are when you get to that point are, are typically negative, you know, feeling like you're, this isn't working, you quit, you become enhanced, you know, mm -hmm. and it kind of becomes this, this focus on the wrong thing and missing out on the biggest lessons you can get from lifting. So that's what motivates me to make content is uh, hopefully helping people stay with lifting for their life because it can be so beneficial emotionally and physically. Um, and then you're making sure that people have a better understanding of, of how science fits in with uh, their, their approach to lifting and maybe even figuring out, oh, this actually can apply to other aspects of life and other decisions and information I try to seek. Yeah, I like that. It's, it's, yeah, one of those things when you start, when you first get into fitness, it's, it's often for, you know, the, the immediate more superficial goals of like, oh, I want to lose weight or I want to build muscle. And you realize that it gets you into so many other things and you find that fitness is ends up being actually a, like a very central kind of pillar of self-development is the way I see it. Like it, it is one of the most tangible ways of seeing transformation in yourself. Like there's nothing that rivals that feeling of like, I put on 10 pounds of muscle or I lost 20 pounds of fat that like is so visible and like you can actually feel the, the, the difference. Yep. It can become a practice, uh, a discipline, if you will, that uh, allows you to express yourself and feel competence uh, and feel autonomy, which I think is a huge part of human motivation. So, yeah, I think in many ways it, it might start as this immediate desire to get external things, but then eventually it feels like what it might feel like to be a really good painter or what it might feel like to um, be able to, to do gymnastic moves or what it might feel like to play an instrument. If you can kind of view mastery of your movements and your body and your goals within your potential rather than comparing it to other people, I think it can be a very positive thing, just like you described. Mm -hmm. And how's your own training going? Some update. Good. So I'm not sure when this will come out, but right now we're recording it. It's Monday here, Sunday in, in Canada, and uh, I am starting my diet for 2023. That's what year it is now starting on Saturday. So it'll be uh, Friday for uh, the States and Canada, well, the Northern Hemisphere in general. So it's going well. Um, I just finished the calf experiment. Um, okay. So, yeah, we are, now I'm doing my, my deload week where I'm doing 12 sets of calves instead of 20 and not stretching, but still using the full range of motion and the increased full range of motion I have on calf training to see if that was sufficient to maintain the gains I got from 12 weeks of calf stretching. So interesting things to come and to see whether I need to maintain some form of stretching in my, my training or whether this was a panacea of growth for my calves and whether I need to figure out how to stretch all my muscles in my body and <laughs> myself up to strange contraptions for the rest of my career or not. So we shall see. Wow. 
Okay, so, you know, going to be lots to unpack in our next, next episode when we talk about calves with the leg training. That's right. Yeah, so where can people find you, Eric, and any new developments that people can, you know, check out in terms of your own content or products? Absolutely. We just hit the four-year mark on Iron Culture. We just uh, recorded episode 208, and in typical nice. Iron Culture fashion, both Omar and I forgot until the episode was over, so we'll be celebrating our uh, four-year anniversary one episode one week one week late. Um, yeah, still going strong there. Um, I'll be coaching at the Sheffield, working with uh, Jess Bittner in March, which will be exciting. I'll probably be going to Worlds. Um, Bryce Lewis, as well as Jess Bittner, have a possibility of being there. Bryce is in the heavily contested 93s now that he's uh, moved over to Powerlifting America. Um, so that'll be fun. Um, myself, I'll be competing probably in the latter quarter of next year. Mm -hmm. um, we're recording and uh, doing documentaries around uh, all of these events and things I'm going to for Iron Culture, which would be pretty cool. Um, I'm working on the third edition of the Muscle and Strength Pyramids. And okay. yeah, I've got PhD students finishing. So data's coming out and I've got new PhD students starting. So it's, it is a robust year in 2023, my friend. Yeah, awesome to hear the, the machine continues. Yep. And if you want to follow me and learn about all this stuff, you can follow me uh, primarily at 3dmusclejourney.com. There's links to all the stuff I talked about, mass, the books, uh, follow Iron Culture on YouTube, iTunes, or Spotify. And then if you want to stay up with all the other things I do, follow me at Helms3DMJ on Instagram. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thanks again for a great episode. Stay tuned for round two, everyone. And thanks for being on the show. Always a pleasure, Bill. <laughs>